Amen. That's great singing, and I'm glad to see you this morning. Don't you appreciate Brother Weaver? I've known Brother Weaver for many years, and he hasn't changed. And I'll tell you what, the longer you're in the ministry, you see people change, and they try to find their new identity and all this type of thing. You're just glad for people that are faithful like Brother Weaver. And so uh, thank you. Brother Weaver's been through cancer. He's been through so many things, yet he gets up here and just sings and encourages us. And thank you for being a blessing to us. And uh, I'm glad to see you today. We had a wonderful day in church. Wasn't it a blessing to start the bus ministry back yesterday? And I know we didn't have our record attendance. That's not the point. We just got back to it, and everything will begin to build. And then I was thinking last night, some of you freshmen had never heard the choir sing until last night. And uh, that was only about half the choir, but it sounded so good to hear a choir. And uh, we're just moving on and doing our very best for the Lord, and I'm glad to see you this morning. I'm told this is kind of a shorter chapel. I don't usually preach Monday chapel, but I was out of town uh, last week, and I thought, well, I'm going to jump back in and preach a couple times in chapel this week. So uh, tell me when, wave a hanky when it's time to stop, and I'll just keep going. How's that sound? All right. So, all right. Well, let's, uh, let's have a word of prayer together. Father, thank you for our student body. Thank you for West Coast Baptist College and for the great heritage and the privilege we have to grow together, to train, and then to touch this world with the gospel. Bless our time in your word today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Would you stay standing and turn to Philippians chapter 2 for our scripture today? And I apologize uh, for my voice. Sometimes uh, you get a preaching voice like this and from preaching. And uh, someday some of you men will preach and you'll understand a little bit of what that's like. Now, if you're just getting up sharing thoughts, you might not lose your voice. But if you preach once in a while, you lose your voice a little bit. So uh, we'll... Uh, and, and by the way, God has chosen the foolishness of preaching, right? And so I pray some of you will be challenged and trained and encouraged to preach the Word of God. Uh, I've already prayed, so I'll just read the text and then let you be seated. Uh, Philippians 2, we're going to read verses 17 through 21. I'd like to speak to you this morning on the subject of answering the call to ministry. Answering the call. So many students, uh, and I get around some, uh, I'll be preaching in a few weeks in Texas, then a week or two after that, North Carolina, after that, up in Washington State, and I, I get around a lot of young, young people, and so many uh, switch to this college and that college and this idea and that idea, this major, that major, but the sooner you can get into what God has called you to do, to be, the better off you'll be in life. And I believe that the compelling need of the hour is for so many of you to not just take a one-year course and trying this and trying that, but to say this one thing I'm going to do with my life, I'm going to give it to the Lord Jesus like an offering just poured out on the altar. Lord, here's my life. And that's what I want to speak to you about just for these few minutes that we have this morning. Philippians 2.17, yay. And if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause, notice that word cause, the Christian life is not a job, it's a cause. For this same cause, I joy, uh, also do ye joy and rejoice with me. 
But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ's. There are men in the ministry today who are seeking their own agenda. They want to serve God, but they want to do it their way. Paul said, I'm going to send Timothy to you because he's not narcissistic. He's not trying to get his way, but he's a reflection of a true minister's heart. And that's what you want to get while you're here, is to learn the heart of the ministry. And so let's talk about these things today, shall we? And you may be seated. I would like to read a letter to you. It's a letter like letters that I receive almost weekly. And I don't always have the time to bring them to the pulpit, but this one I received Saturday. Dear Brother Chapel, not sure if you remember us. We attended college with you in San Dimas. We've been in Bolivia for 31 years. Haven't had much money, that would be handy. We're starting to get older now, as are you. I didn't appreciate that part of his letter, but. <laughs> We're ministering here in the high Andes, 10,000 feet above sea level, where no other Baptist missionary has ever been. As I write this, I am ending my battle with COVID-19. I'm sure I will survive. I've survived scarlet fever hepatitis, and then some other one, amoebiasis histolica, which I have no idea what it is. I know I don't ever want to get it just from the sounds of it. And a half a dozen other things that we're not sure what they were. <laughs> but the real thing is that in four years, we will have completed our three score and 10. We, now we know of no missionary in the pipeline coming to this area. No one has ever been here to our ministry. No pastor has ever visited us. It looks like no one is interested in coming. We have established a church in this city, Tupiza, Bolivia, another one in an outlying Pueblo, and we have two pastors that are trained working in other pueblos not far from us. We have a licensed radio station which reaches thousands in our area. The radio station needs support to keep its license and operating costs. We fear that when we are gone, if the Lord tarries, much of this will be lost. So my cry, Brother Chapel, is not for more support but for someone to come and take our place when the Lord calls us home. We could use the support. We were there at Lancaster many years ago. We hear of your work. We're glad God has blessed you. But please, send somebody to help. Here's a missionary. He's looking at the age of 70. No one's ever been to visit him. High in the Andes of Bolivia. And he's saying, 
Would you send somebody to help? All over the world, baby boomers like me and like this man, like Dr. Rasmussen and others, are getting to a point in ministry where soon they will not be able to carry on their normal routine. And I find it interesting that many millennials would be happy to push someone like me aside, maybe to take a work like this. They try their cultural shifting and changing to get into the positions that they like. But I have never met one that wants to go to the Andes. I've never met one that wants to go to Los Angeles or to some of the other needy cities of this world. And I want you to think with me today about this man, Dennis Horn, a quiet man that I knew in Bible college. Like really the greatest graduates of this college, they were not flamboyant people on this campus questioning and always trying to break the rules. The great graduates like you saw last night, Josh Lovegrove and Brother Portillo, they were just humble students on this campus who just quietly went out and they're making their mark in this world today. But the point of the message this morning, there's not enough of them. And while we have this vacating of posts on the mission field, buildings and radio stations waiting while we have pastors resigning, we have so many in Bible colleges not even sure exactly what they're going to do someday. The need is so great. To be honest, I could not go down the rows today and know definitively which of you are surrendered to preach, men. I don't know definitively. I know you're surrendered in your life to the Lord or you wouldn't be at West Coast. But I don't know specifically which of you have good direction and which of you are still kind of trying to figure it out. And I'm not here to uh, make you feel poorly if you're still trying to understand. I only wanted to share with you today that this letter is not an anomaly. I receive these letters nearly every week. And the call, this Macedonian call, who will come and help us? Who will come and be with us? Now, if you will answer that call, you must pour yourself out like a drink offering of the Old Testament completely onto the altar. You must be willing to lay aside that fun idea, perhaps, of being in that established place, close to family, close to in-laws, being in a place where you can kind of write your ticket for your schedule. It's a position of self-abandonment. I was thinking about my friend in Costa Rica, Brother Ed Bordell. When he went to Costa Rica, it was not a glamorous place at all. The people that he first led to Christ were drug addicts and teenagers. But as he discipled them, they grew. Many of them are businessmen. One of them owns the largest asphalt company in the country. Another owns a series of grocery stores. The list goes on. Lots of people would love to have that kind of a ministry. 
But the reason God blessed it is because he went when there was nothing there. And he went by faith. Brother Portillo, Nicaragua, the second poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. He went where no American has ever been. He bought property. He's building a building. And God honors that early faith. Last week, some of you saw where I started my ministry here in Lancaster. How many of you went over and saw that? You may have seen my apartment where I lived. Lots of people would like Dr. Getch's job and house. Lots of people would like to live where I live, but not very many would have lived next door to the prostitute. Not very many of you would have liked to have been there the night the gang member shot the bullets through our, that apartment you saw. And so there must be an abandonment of, I want this kind of a position and I want to have my voice heard at the table and I want to be by my in-laws. There must be a, an abandonment of those thoughts to say, Lord, give me your calling and I will preach your gospel wherever you want me to go. Paul was a man whom I believe illustrates to us that every Christian has a calling to ministry. Now, I do believe there is a time when God will specifically touch a man's heart to be a preacher. But I believe every one of us, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 1, therefore seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. You can study the context of 2 Corinthians 4. The calling to the ministry was simultaneous with his salvation. And he, after giving his salvation testimony, says, therefore, I'm not going to quit. So let me share a few thoughts with you today. First, the call of ministry. The call of ministry is a call to herald forth the word of God. Notice if you would in verse 16, it says, holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. I was talking to my wife last night. I was so taken back. I had read it so many times. This verse from 1 John. This verse that I preached about the fact that it is very possible for someone to stand at the judgment seat of Christ and be ashamed. And all my life I've preached and heard that we'll not be judged for our sin. And I still believe that. The judgment seat of Christ is not a place of judgment for sin. But it is apparently a place where if you are called of God to preach, and if you have opportunities given to go, maybe a radio station and a church in the Andes, and you do not, could it be that when the Lord appears, you would have wished you had given him more? Does it not say in verse 16 that on the contrary, you could rejoice in the day of Christ? You see, as hard as it is to get a hold of this when we're younger, we must be living our whole life with the coming of the Lord in mind. Not with the coming of graduation, not with the coming of marriage, not with the coming of a job, but with the coming of Christ in mind. 
The calling of the ministry is a call to herald forth the word of God, to preach the word of God. It is not something that should be done without trembling. It is not something that we should think, well, I graduated from college, I can do it. No. Many have graduated from college who never really understood the calling of ministry, and they failed because it's not just the intellect. It must be the heart that is totally surrendered. There must be a heralding of the word from a completely surrendered life. Notice that in verse 17. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy. Paul says, if I have poured out my life for you, that's great. I'm glad that I could do that. You know, I've been here at this church 35 years this summer. And by the way, we have moved the great national spiritual leadership conference for this year into the month of October, which means all of you returning students will be able to attend the spiritual leadership conference next year as a part of your education for the first time in the history of this college, and it will be awesome. There are thousands of guests, hundreds and hundreds of pastors, and we'll be through COVID completely. It's going to be uh, it's going to be awesome next October. But we're celebrating all this year, 35 years of ministry. And while I have not always accomplished every goal or perhaps sometimes I have missed knowing the need of a member, something like that, really what I've tried to do is pour my life out here in this place, in this community, for the people of this church, for the people of this community. That's the language Paul uses. He says, if I have been offered upon the sacrifice, the, the word here means to pour out as a drink offering. Both the Jews and the Gentiles would have understood the terminology of the drink offering. It was a, a libation or a ritual that they could understand. In the Old Testament, often with the sacrifices, there would be either grape juice or water that would be poured onto the altar and then there would be a sweet-smelling savor that would be ascending up into heaven. And Paul is using this language from time to time to illustrate that even as that grape juice is poured out on the altar, and even as the Bible describes it as a sweet-smelling savor to God, that a life that is truly a God-called life in ministry is not just a little dab but it's the whole pouring out of your life. That's what the calling is. God, use my whole life. Paul said, if I've poured out my life like a drink offering, then I rejoice because the fruit of that is seen in the Philippian church. By the way, what a great way to pour out your life. It's an eternal investment. When my friend here Brother Horn, when he comes to this place, when his health no longer allows him to be on the mission field, he will have left a place where lives were changed and people were saved, and he will have poured out his life in a remote mountain area in the Andes, and not one pastor has ever visited him, but God has seen everything that he has done. David Livingston one of the great 
early missionaries. I've been to his birth home in Scotland. He was called of God to go to Africa as a missionary. There was a great moving of God in the 17 and 1800s in the United Kingdom. And really, the United Kingdom was the sending forth nation. Uh, not only did they go out buying tea and doing trade, we know that the haters, we know that the cancel culture only wants to speak of imperialism and the dastardly deeds of the United Kingdom and the colonialism. But they forget that the same people that went out doing business also started hospitals and orphanages and, in fact, took the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. And Livingston was one of those men. Many of the maps, many of the understandings of Africa came from him. David Livingston, the great missionary, wrote, If a commission by an earthly king is considered an honor, how can a commission by a heavenly king be considered a sacrifice? In other words, if you pour your life out for the Lord, Paul says, oh, look what I had to do. No, he says, I am joyful that I could do it. If you surrender your life to the ministry of preaching men, you will look back and you will have no regret that you gave your whole life to the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. None. I'll never forget that man whose door I knocked on here in Lancaster, maybe my first or second year, right down here by Joshua Memorial Park. He attended our church for a little while. When I first met him, he opened up his billfold. I thought he was going to give me money. I'm like, praise God, the ministry's going great. He pulled out of his billfold, listen now, a decision card from teen camp. I want to say it was in the 1940s. He said, can I share with you the greatest regret of my life? And this man, probably 60s at that time, began to weep as he showed me a decision card where he had surrendered his life to be a preacher at a teen camp. And he said, instead, I went to work for Northrop to make money. And with tears coming down his face, he said, every day of my life, I regret that I didn't do what I said I would do when I was 17 years old. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, 15, I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. You know, a night like last night for me, it's always strange because you're so tired. You have spent yourself. But also there's so much adrenaline and so many thoughts about people, it's hard to go right to sleep too. But the ministry is a spending of yourself. It's a pouring of yourself. It's not an eight to five. The first question you should not ask is, what are the benefits here? The opportunity is what we're looking for, to please the Lord, to serve the Lord. So the call to ministry is a call to pour your life out in the preaching of the gospel. And then I want to just say quickly here, there's a concern we see in the ministry. What is the concern of the ministry? Verse 19. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus unto you that I may be of good comfort when I know of your state. 
Now here you see the pastor's heart. The pastor's heart. And it is seen in his concern for the church. He's writing to them from Rome. He says, I'm going to send Timothy to check on you because I have got to know how you're doing. I cannot explain it, but you'll know when God is working in your heart because you start to have concern for others. What about that bus kid that didn't come back? What about that guy that I invited to church? My staff probably thinks I'm crazy, but in a given day, I'll think of 20, 30 different members of the church. How did the surgery go? Did we visit that person? Did that guy come back? What about that couple over there in that couple's class? How are they doing? Often I ask our staff about someone in their class, and they may be unaware of the trial that the person was experiencing. You see, the concern of the ministry is that you are burdened for that flock, for those people, for that city. Why do I write birthday letters to uh, city council? Why do I write congratulatory letters to someone in the newspaper that received an award? Why did I write our state assembly and senators this morning about a ridiculous bill that's being passed that requires toy stores in California to no longer have boys and girls toys? Ridiculous laws. Why would I take mo a moment today to attempt to be the salt and light in this community because I care for this community. Dr. Lee Robertson, who pastored the great Highland Park Baptist Church, sadly, that church after he left tried to go progressive. They tried to change and then they had to close their doors. The great Tennessee Temple University literally closed. Dr. Robertson, when he was there, baptized, if you could imagine, 60,000 people in 40-plus years. When he was here, and he was here several times, uh, we talked about philosophy of ministry. And he said to me, he said, Brother Chapel, put your picture on all the church brochures. And he said, saturate this community. And then he said something I'll never forget. We were running about 300 at the time. He said to me, you determine to pastor this community. You, you, you determine to pastor this community. And I thought, pastor this community? I'd like to just pastor the church. At that time, there were people in the church that weren't listening to some things I was trying to do. And he was telling me to pastor the community. He said, They'll put, that, they'll put that gospel track in a drawer and someday someone will get sick and they'll call you and they'll remember you. So why, why did you try to get some medical professionals to come out here and help the hospital? That's not your lane. No, it is my lane. I want to pour out my life to help this community. I want to know of the state of the flock. You'll know that God is calling you to ministry when you start caring about people. You're burdened for people. Spurgeon said, Do not desire to be the principal man in the church. Be humble. The best man in the church is the man who's willing to be a servant for all.
So Paul wanted to know their condition. The Bible says in Proverbs 27, 23, be diligent to know the state of the flock. A pastor must know who was here yesterday. I have lists right now who are not at Lancaster Baptist Church because they're awaiting vaccination. Who are not here because we don't know why. Uh, I, I keep lists of various sorts. I can tell you where we are in our Sunday school attendance, which right now is on Wednesday nights. Who are we looking for? Know the state of the flock. Know the financial state of the flock. Know the state of the flock. Paul was so burdened to know them. He wanted to know how they were doing. Look at verse uh, number 19. That I may be of good comfort when I know your state. Sometimes a pastor will lose some sleep. He'll wake up in the middle of the night thinking about a staff member, thinking about a church member, thinking about a need in the community. You need to know the condition of the flock. Know the burden of the flock. He says in verse 20, For I have no man like-minded. What a sad statement. Sometimes I'll see someone from our church that doesn't live for the Lord. I'll see some graduate of our college that just, you would hardly ever guess they came to West Coast. And then I think of the Apostle Paul. He said, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. He said, I can't send anybody to help you except Timothy right now, because Timothy, Timothy's going to love you like I love you. By the way, if you ever serve on a staff of a church, you get that pastor's heart, and you try to help love those people like that pastor loves those people. And you don't try to be this new, innovative, glass door guru. You reflect the heart of the philosophy of the pastor that asked you to come and be there. That's what Timothy was. He was an extension of the pastor. And Paul said, I don't have very many like-minded, but he said, I have Timothy, and he's going to help me to know what you need. This is what God's called us to do. The call to the ministry, the concern in the ministry, how's the flock doing? Notice thirdly, I know we have little time, What about the companions in ministry? Look at verse 20. I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state, for all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. Now, in the ministry, it is important that we work with men and women who are like-minded doctrinally and philosophically. I spent a good deal of time with our deacons a few weeks ago and with a couple guests that we had discussing the progressive movement and how it starts off with style and then it becomes even doctrinal. And the whole idea of the conversation is that we want to have a consistent year after year philosophy of ministry at Lancaster Baptist Church and West Coast Baptist College. There'll be slight changes and differences here and there, but fundamentally, the same DNA. And what Paul is saying is, all these men that are in the ministry, they care only for themselves. What do they get out of it? But Timothy, he has this heartbeat. How can I reflect the Apostle Paul's ministry? He was like-minded. He was equal in soul. He had the same disposition, the same purpose. He was, listen, Timothy was insightful. It's interesting to me how I can walk into a room and in just a moment I can often tell 
which girl is disinterested and she's thinking about a boy, which boy is thinking about he's got to go to work, maybe which light bulb is out, maybe I've already taken note today, which faculty are here, which faculty are not here. There's a thousand little instinctive things that I might feel in the course of one service. As an overseer, God's called me to be a pastor. These are things that I instinctively sense. And the amazing thing about Timothy was that he instinctively sensed them as well. Did you see that in verse 20? I have no man like-minded, notice the phrase here, who will naturally care for your state. Now, to some extent, these are spiritual gifts, but discernment, there's no corner on the market for discernment. You can grow in discernment. And one of the ways I've grown in discernment is by making a lot of mistakes. Another way is by praying, James 1.5. But gentlemen and ladies too, you need to develop spiritual discernment. Who do you ask to teach the class? What are the requirements? What is a danger sign of someone that's visiting your church and passing out flyers about maybe things you don't believe in? I watch over this college in similar fashion. I want to be be a right shepherd, and I want to bring staff here who are like-minded, who will naturally care for the estate of this student body. We want a unibody construction in the leadership, and Paul had that with Timothy. Why was that so important? Because he wanted to care for the flock. Verse 20, I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your estate. Interesting word, the word care. It means to look out for, uh, to promote one's interest. And Timothy, in a short word, gentlemen and ladies, was loyal to the Apostle Paul. He was loyal. When you get into a ministry of the local church, be loyal to the leadership of that church. Now, I know there's been some goofy thoughts on loyalty in the past. Certainly, you don't give loyalty to something that's morally corrupt, doctrinally corrupt. But when you have a godly leader, be loyal. And listen, some of our graduates, I can think right now of... of, um, the brother up in Roy, Washington, Brother Rasmussen, uh, Brother Earlbacher, great guy in our college, played on our basketball team. He's a pastor now. But do you know the first church he went to back east, within months the pastor had become immoral? It really shook him up. Guys, if you get into a situation where something bad happens like that, keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. And don't think that's the whole ministry. That was an isolated situation. And Brother Aaron Erlbacher left that terrible situation, came out to Fresno. He worked for a godly man named Eldon Martins, a great man of God. Brother Martins taught here on our staff for a while. And he kind of got his roots going. Then he went up to Washington. He's one of the most studied young men I've ever known. Oftentimes I have him proofread books that I'm writing He's a sharp young man, but he had to go through a trial. And sometimes that's how you learn. And, and, and even though the first pastor was immoral, he became loyal to the second pastor, Brother Martins. So you're not loyal to sinful situations, but when you get in a good situation, most of you will be loyal. 
Look at verse 21 as we close. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. Timothy was a loyal man. He wasn't in it for himself, but he was in it for the cause of Christ. Brother Chapel, in four years, we will have completed our three score and ten. No one has ever been here. It looks like no one is interested in coming. Our cry is not so much for support. It's just for someone to come and take our place when the Lord takes us home. Hey, what are you doing next year? Oh, I don't know. I might study physical therapy at the local community college. I'm thinking about maybe taking the police officer course at some Christian university. I'm thinking maybe I'll do this, maybe I'll do that. I'm not the Holy Spirit of God, and as I said yesterday, I don't try to pastor by way of guilt trip. But I beg you, on the behalf of many turning 70 and going older, I beg you to consider surrendering your life and pouring it out like a drink offering on the altar for some city, for some people, for some place that needs the gospel of Jesus 